Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. try to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast. Yes. Hi, friends. Sorry for the delay. We we recorded a whole episode and my audio was not recording through the microphone and it just sounded awful through the computer and I just couldn't put it on you people. We owe you more than that. We owe you so much. Um, but it was a waste of time and now it's, you know, delayed, delayed, delayed. Who cares? Here we are. How are you? Here we are. I am fine. I have a cold. Yeah. You sent me your cold through the through the airwaves. I sent you it all the way to Washington in the mail. That's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, but I did fake out my entire family by misreading a COVID test, which was really funny. I classic. Um move. we we took the COVID test because my kids are in school and stuff and because there's a pandemic, you know, the whole nine. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw the the sea line appear and was like, mm-hmm. we're a COVID house, everybody. Run alert, <laughs> run alert, run alert. <laughs> and then my my kid, my 12-year-old was like, mm, that's the control. <laughs> Mom, come on. So it's... Mom, I grew up in this <laughs> pandemic. I know how to read a COVID test. You... You know, 1980s children. <laughs> I'm a COVID native. Um, <laughs> COVID native. Yeah, so <laughs> it's not COVID, but uh, it is a cold. It's not COVID. These are where we are these times. So yeah, other than that, I'm fine, but I'm very excited about the ASCO conference that's happening <gasps> right now. Oh my God. We've got to go over some of this stuff. This whole deal. It's thrilling. It is really thrilling. And what's what's cool about it, too, is that you can kind of follow along. Uh, their website is great because they've posted all of the um, abstracts to all the papers that are being presented. So you can read those. But then you can also follow along on Twitter because lots of oncologists are on Onco Twitter. And, you know, like they're mm-hmm. really tweeting a lot about what's what's happening. They're taking pictures and videos and stuff. And so it's like getting a little sneak peek. So cool. It's like being there. Will you tell us what it stands for and w- what it even is if folks don't even know what that is? Yeah. So um, the ASCO is the American Society of Clinical Oncology and our oncologists all belong to it. Mm-hmm. I hope <laughs> um, it's just a professional organization. Um, if your oncologist didn't go to Hollywood Upstairs Medical College, they probably are in the ASCO <laughs> and they might even be there. Right. They might even be there in Chicago right now. But it's just a place where the oncologists go, it's a, you know, professional development opportunity. And then the people who have been researching and doing these clinical trials get to present their papers. And I don't want to turn this whole episode into like one big rats, but it was really cool to see 
the plenary study for Destiny 04. Yes. Tell us <laughs> now. So I think we've talked about on the podcast before when we were talking about clinical trials, how much I love that they give clinical trials these really cool epic names. Yes, totally. Destiny. And they're like always they always stand for something, but it's like <laughs> they pick and choose letters from the words to make it into a cool epic name. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what destiny actually stands for, but it's a whole bunch of medical jargon. It's been a long term study for metastatic breast cancer patients who are HER2 positive or HER2 low. And it's tough. It's been interesting seeing on Twitter, particularly the conversations between oncologists and patients and then um, among each group individually, because there, there are pretty different takes. Like the oncologists are all super, 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 super stoked about this result for the destiny trials. The presentation got a standing ovation, it, like brought down the house at the conference. Wow. It, I mean, it is legitimately exciting because the results showed that the drug conjugate worked across all subtypes of breast cancer. It wasn't only... So not just her. Right. It wasn't only effective for her too mm -hmm. positive or her too low. It was also um, effective for hormone receptor positive breast cancer. And so that's a big deal. That kind of changes the way that we look at treating breast cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and then it did... Also, it doubled overall survival, which sounds really rad. Mm. <laughs> Obviously, the oncologists were very excited about it, but the patients were like, mm, it doubled the overall survival from five months to 10 months. <laughs> okay. Can we talk about what that means? So five months from the point where these people in the trial were given the opportunity to join the trial. So like at what point? of the disease progression is this time starting because the overall survival time for metastatic breast cancer is not five months. No, it's overall survival. So there are different categories. There's progression-free survival, there's overall survival, and that mm -hmm. would be from diagnosis, not from the time that you're in the study, because obviously that wouldn't be scientific, you know, like, right. because that would be a different point for everyone. But overall survival from diagnosis to death is not five months. No, no, it's not. Help, help me. <laughs> so the OS overall survival being increased or doubled, you know, from five months to 10 months. The OS is the length of time from either the date of diagnosis or the start of treatment for a disease. So um, that patients diagnosed with the disease are still alive. So, you know, in metastatic breast cancer, you could be on the the very low end of the survival, overall survival, or you could be on the very high end. Mm -hmm. um, and then they take the the middle, they take the median. And so that was from, from five months to 10 months was the, the median overall survival increase. So um, a lot of patients are understandably not that impressed um, mm -hmm. because five months is not, uh, doesn't feel like a standing ovation worthy <laughs> amount of time. No. But I do think that, you know, you have to kind of take the study on the whole and see all the things that they've learned from it. And um, also understand that I'm not a scientist. Right. I don't know what 
all the implications are, but clearly they were stoked about it. So I'm going to let them take the yeah, win. I mean, I will definitely take that win if oncologists have, give a standing ovation and then patients are like, WTF, let's assume that there is a lot of good in this yet. Yeah. Right. We can't even explain because we didn't go to podcasting. <laughs> um, and then there's another really, really exciting one that this to me is like the whoa, I can't believe this. So there was a study. It was a small group, 18 patients for ed, um, locally advanced rectal cancer. Um, it had a total pathological response in 100% of patients. It's never happened before. Holy cow. Yeah. The New York Times uh, wrote an article that people keep sending it to us and I keep seeing it online. Like Everybody's just like, oh my God, because that just never happened. Right. Literally. All 18 people. Like, yeah, it's just gone. It's gone. Of course, they don't know if three years from now people are going to have it come back or what, but to have it completely just the response. Is it, was that the CAR T-cell or is that the checkpoint inhibitor? What, what, what? What was the treatment? Do we know? Listen, you could just read the article, people. Just 18 people. We'll put the article in the show notes. But um, 18 people. Very exciting. Especially exciting for me because I love to see those cancers like rectal cancer getting the research and the attention because, you know, they don't. They just don't. Absolutely. So cool, cool. So cool. I don't know that I will have another rats for you because it was kind of all about the ASCO and has been for the last couple of weeks for me. Um, everybody's been right. gearing up to present. And so if you want to look at any of the abstracts, if you want to follow along, go to conferences.asco.org. And they're all there. It's um, just really a wealth of resources there that you can read through. It's separated into uh, different areas of the body, different types of cancers. So like if head and neck cancer is your thing, you can read all of those. Mm-hmm. Breast cancer has its own category. Um, so yeah, way to go oncologists. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for doing the hard work. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, can I tell you something lovely that happened last night? Yes. We had our in-person meetup for Cancer for Breakfast Club's a metastatic breast cancer group in Portland. Yeah. And it was so lovely. I'm obviously not going to say anything about what happened there, but I will tell you it was in this beautiful nursery called Thicket that my friend owns and she gave us the keys and let us have this private space, which was really lovely to be able to be outdoors so people felt safe. Yeah. Sitting distanced without masks on and also, it's kind of nice to be outdoors somewhere private that isn't a park. Totally. Where, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, people seeing you from afar and wondering, you know, what's going on. There's like a kid running by with a kite while you're talking about your fears <laughs> of death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really lovely. And um, I like I'm, I'm obviously not going to say anything that was said, but it, I, I do have to share one thing. And I don't think anybody would mind because it was just hilarious. Somebody brought up the whole the God thing. And she kind of asked if people were religious or how they felt or if, uh, I don't remember if it was like family members keep sending things of religious, you know, something along those lines. And yeah, and everybody kind of, you know, was sort of like recognizing how sometimes religion can 
become a toxic positivity yeah. type thing when you're dealing with cancer and blah, 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 blah. And uh, just as we all said that, torrential downpour <laughs> like out of nowhere we're under like almost like a tin roof type thing that the rain is so freaking loud and then on top of that being on the tin roof it is insane like we all just were like we couldn't even hear each other because like the voices and then we all just kind of started laughing <laughs> and then just and i was like it's god and then everyone's like oh my god, dad is mad is. like dad's mad <laughs> But yeah, it was really funny. And I don't know, I kind of like the the wildness of that moment. But anyway, if anybody knows any, um, it's aimed at younger people because mm-hmm. there already are so many spaces for the older Mets crew. Yeah, it's true. Thank goodness that those exist. But they're, you know, different issues for people to face. But send them our way, cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com if anyone wants to join that monthly me too. Yeah, in Portland specifically. In Portland. And hopefully in other cities down the road. If anyone wants to help gear up something like that, we would be happy to get the word out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hoping to get one happening once the bus is up and running. I feel like that'll be a really nice space. You know, oh my gosh, outside yeah. of the hospital environment, which can be so triggering for people, like not everybody wants to right. go to a support group in a hospital, which is often where they are, mm-hmm. or like in senior centers. I think we've yeah. said this before. This kind of like an AA meeting. Yeah. <laughs> it is nice too not to have it run by a employee of the hospital too, right. to where like I think peer run is good. And I think it's not, you know, I'm not metastatic and I don't think it's my space necessarily to take up even as a moderator i do just want to kind of help get it off the ground and everyone connected so well it was really lovely i would love to see how it goes but i do want to make sure that any new people coming in feel like they know where to go and what's happening and um but my my view is like let it let it go and become this what it will be you know well you know what i i even want to say that i don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with you being the facilitator for it, because to be quite honest, um, metastatic people don't often have the longevity or wherewithal to continue mm-hmm. hosting, yeah. um, you know, something monthly. Yeah. So I think that it's okay to have somebody who's not metastatic being the facilitator, because sometimes not metastatic people have yeah. the spoons where metastatic people don't. I kind of had planned to be that person, but then I didn't know if it was my I didn't know if it was inappropriate for me to take that role because you know but I I feel like I don't feel like it necessarily is because I do this for I help run the other group and do the you know like I'm just involved in this community in whatever weird ass way for whatever weird ass reasons but I don't know I just I actually wanted to ask you if you thought it would if it's weird, if I helped facilitate it, because I do kind of feel like a woman who helps run the Young Survival Coalition. I was talking to her on mm-hmm. the phone, um, like the national chapter, and I was telling her about this group. And she said, yeah, you know, we've found that it's it's really hard to do these groups because, you know, this stuff does come up that she found that they had to actually hire a social worker to come moderate it because she was like, we're just not really equipped for yeah, some of the stuff which makes sense, but then I also feel like it's so nice to just not have to have it be that way. I don't know. 
I think that I appreciate, you know, the nothing about us without us um, mentality a lot. I think it's super appropriate to have peer groups facilitated by somebody within the group. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think that, you know, as long as you and your mental health is is a priority for you um, and you're not constantly being triggered or Mm-hmm. upset by the conversations that happen. I think that it's it's totally okay for you to be that person and take on that that role because mm-hmm. you are part of the community and you have the awareness to not talk over people and to mm-hmm. sort of let them have the space um and to just truly be a facilitator yeah. for conversation, not not like a mediator or sure. somebody who inserts themselves or, or has an agenda. Well, I did have to shut Tanya up a few times. <laughs> she just yippity yappity, you know, like we're not here to talk about your dog, Tanya. It's a cancer group. Just kidding. Just kidding. There was no Tanya. Um, yeah, I feel like I actually... Now that you're my therapist, Steph, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I only go to therapy when there's a microphone, <laughs> um, I do feel like I'm going through a strange, like, what the F am I doing thing right now where I'm at the point where I am now approaching the two-year point since ending the end of treatment, Yeah, right? This summer will be, you know? Yeah. And I do feel like, and I might've said this on a past episode or I don't know, like right as I was diagnosed, I had just gotten accepted into grad school. I had decided I'm a mom. I'm going to just be a teacher. I'm going to have summers off with my kid. I'm going to not work until 6.30 PM every night. Yeah. I'm just going to do this so that I have time and whatever. It just seemed like a thing to do. And I had gotten accepted and then I got cancer. And so I declined to do that. And then now I don't want to be a fucking teacher. You know, I'm just like, oh, that sounds awful. That <laughs> Truly. Sounds... Like there's no worse time to decide to be a teacher. Especially now. It's double for me though. It's not only pandemic and like everything obvious, but it's also now that I've experience the whole cancer thing I do want to help people like I would love to be a hospital social worker who could get people going but I don't want to go to the schooling to become a freaking social worker like I'm just I have a bachelor's like whatever midlife crisis but but I'm at the point now where I'm far enough from my treatment I'm getting into this rhythm of I go into there once a month I take medication that makes me feel like shit but yeah, that's where I'm at. I need to pick it up and figure out what the next thing is. And I would love for it to be something where I could help, you know, people in the cancer community. Yeah. I feel like it's a superpower now once you've uncovered something you never thought you could do. Like I always thought something like this would make me sad. I was afraid of being sad. And now that I'm here, I'm like, well, yeah, it's sad, but like, I get it and I see it with a completely different way that yep. feels really important, you know? Like, I feel like I want to do something that feels, like, important. Yeah. And so I just don't know what it is. So I'm just laying on the floor saying, what should I do? <laughs> I don't really know what. <laughs> Help. I think that there's, like, this um, really unfortunate idea in 
our culture, I don't know if it's our generation or what, that you have to go to school. I know. To learn how to do something. And right. I heartily disagree with that mentality. Me too. I was just talking to my son's former preschool teacher. Um, so, you know, this is a woman who's been in our lives for 10 years. Um, she's amazing. She's now like one of the head honchos at the YMCA. And um, she's also been really involved in um, mental health advocacy mm -hmm. because she's got a family member who has some mental illness. And mm -hmm. we were talking about it and she was just giving me the updates about where she's at in all of these trainings and stuff. And I love that she has been able to pick and choose the areas that she focuses on. And she didn't have to go to school to be a social worker. You know, she's done some of those like peer to peer support group kind of trainings. Mm -hmm. And she is completely effective because she is somebody who's been in the trenches, particularly with her loved one. And she knows what these families are going through. She knows what they have to deal with as far as, you know, hospitals and services and all of that. And so there's no reason for her to have to be trained in anything to right. go into debt and get a degree. Yeah. You can just be an effective peer support person. And I don't know why that's not appreciated as much or paid. <laughs> pretty much ever well that's what i think i'm like i want i need a little money so i need to find something yeah we'll see we'll see maybe i can get some grant and create some weird thing that doesn't exist that that's exactly it is there's money everywhere you just have to know who to ask and where to find it and i am hopeful that we're kind of coming out of this college mandate period where everybody is in crushing debt and maybe we'll start to be more creative in the ways that we help each other and mm -hmm. the ways that we can make money and use the skills that we've acquired <laughs> over our lifetimes. And knowing yeah. cancer shit is one of those skills. Yeah. It's not like it is. you came by it easily, but no. that's a fact. I don't know if I mentioned this. I'm sorry if I did, you can just stop me. Maybe I just told you and not on the podcast, but my friend who she's always just not been a pet person ever, like just doesn't want like, oh, nice dog, like pet it on the head and just walk away. Like, <laughs> yeah. can you get this thing away from me? And I'm like, it's just, you know, but she's like, you don't understand. I grew up on a farm. We had dogs. They would die. They would get hit by cars. They, and I learned at an early age, animals are not to love. You will get hurt if you love them. Oh, so yeah. you just shut it off. And I just don't do it. And I was like, but, but this cat, you could pet my cat. Maybe <laughs> you'll love her. No, I don't love your cat. Okay. Um, but then she just one day on New Year's Day, her friend brought her a stray dog and said, I found this stray dog. It does, it's not microchipped. I don't know what to do with this weird ass fuzzy Pomeranian. And my friend and her husband said, we want it. And she is a freaking crazy ass dog woman now. And um, <laughs> she takes it. She's, it's a fuzzy little Pomeranian. Like how silly is this little thing that's on her lap everywhere she goes. And recently, same thing happened. Somebody found a chihuahua whose owner said, get this thing away from me. I don't want it. It's on the street, <laughs> literally. And so she adopted it. And she said to me, she's like, I had to break through 
this fear I had about the pain and I see it so differently now. And like, I had to like open that vulnerability. And now like, I just want to rescue like old decrepit dogs with bad teeth and silly little thing, you know, like she's just like, I just have it. She's like, it's kind of like you and cancer. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you know, it's like your superpower now. We're like, you've broken through this thing and now you can talk to people about it and, and help people and, and fill that space that you couldn't before. And then I was like, yeah. And she's like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to compare, you know, like did that thing that people do where they think that they're offending you. Oh yeah, no, it was a compliment. And I was like, no, I took that. (laughs) Like, I think that's awesome. And that is kind of a weird truth that once you kind of open the veil of darkness, (laughs) you can kind of like, it's not just darkness. There's all these other things going on with it. That yeah, you can, you can swim around in there for a while. Swim around. Um, yeah. So if anybody wants to get rid of their ugly little dog, <laughs> she'll take it. She won't. She's her hotel is full. But anyway, yeah. Did you want to talk about habit stacking? Like we've been talking what? about recently. Do you mean with bad audio that got we had to delete <laughs> that habit stacking? That's the one. I do. What is habit stacking? What is this lovely method you're going to explain? I'm going to explain it to you, even though you're the one who brought it to me first, which was very welcome because I um, have a really hard time incorporating things into my routine. Mm-hmm. It really makes no sense because I really am like a routine driven person. I am a regular every single place that I go. Mm-hmm. I always order the same thing at restaurants. I only go to the same restaurants. Ooh, I didn't know that about you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I go, you know, to the YMCA on the same day for the same activity. I rarely diverge from from anything. And so it's... Your kids are so bored. They are. (laughs) But, you know... outside time now. (laughs) It's Tuesday at 4 p.m., George. (laughs) Um, But... I have a hard time incorporating anything new. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I can do like exercise here and there when I have some downtime. But as a matter of incorporating it into my daily routine, I have a really hard time. Mm -hmm. Same goes with like, if I have to suddenly start taking a pill at a different time of day, like a lunchtime pill. Right. I simply cannot remember it. And it doesn't matter if I set an alarm. I'll just turn the alarm off and be like, oh, I'll do that in a minute. And then I never do it. Um, And we asked some of our listeners and they said that they were having trouble remembering like to drink water. That's Mm -hmm. a big one. Um, Remembering to take pills is another big one. Yeah. Um, And that's not really even just a factor of like being a forgetful person or just not being able to incorporate it into your routine. A lot of it is chemo brain too. Mm -hmm. And so um, we decided we were going to just try to help people out for that. Yeah. Okay, so um, you read this or you heard about a book. Heard. You did not actually read the book. I heard about a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear that my friend had read. And it was helping her. And she's a non-cancer person, but it was helping her in a way that I thought, wow, I bet you we could just tweak this a little bit. And um, but go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, not at all. I wanted you to to say that. So um, the general rules, I guess, for habit stacking or the procedure for it is you first note what your established habits are. Mm-hmm. So like 
I get up, I have my coffee in the morning, I get my kids out the door to get on the bus at 740, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Like it might even be helpful to think of it more as like a routine rather than a habit. Yeah, I do. I think especially for our implications, like. Yeah. So note your habits or your routine. And then secondly, you think of things that you want to become habits or you want to become part of your routine. It actually might be helpful if you physically make a list of these two. Then you compare Mm -hmm. your habits with your habit goals and see if anything logically matches up. So like if you want to, for example, be drinking more water, Mm -hmm. you might join up pouring yourself a cup of coffee in the morning with pouring yourself a glass of water at the same time. You know, just things that Mm -hmm. logically go together. Maybe they're in the same area of the house. Maybe they're nearby someplace that you'll usually be out. Right. And then number four is you just start combining habits. So for example, some people said that they wanted to read more. And if you have like a set bedtime, you could combine your regular bedtime with reading 30 minutes a night, you know, like Mm -hmm. you just go to bed, bring your book. And then, you know, that can become an established habit too. Yeah. I think there are so many good examples of this. It's sort of like I think of my routine thing that I'm going to do every day as the trigger to do the thing I want to be doing every day. So like for taking pills, for example, this could be so specific to your own habits. Like I plug in my fish tank light every morning to turn the light on for my little fishies. Yeah. It's something I do that if I don't do it, I feel uncomfortable. Like my fish won't need the light on. I got to get over there. Turn it on. Yeah. But I have to take a morning pill for my thyroid before breakfast. And so those two things I could put together because sometimes my trigger now for taking my thyroid medication is, oh, I'm hungry. I should eat breakfast. Oh, wait, but I haven't taken my pill yet. And then that's what reminds me to take my pill, which then delays my breakfast another hour. Yeah. And I'm already hungry. So knowing, okay, I can stack my pill. My pill trigger is turn the fish tank on. That is take the pill. And then when I'm hungry in an hour, I'll eat. And that works for me. Also, the coffee thing, if you're a coffee drinker, you're going to drink the coffee every day. I love the idea to drink a glass of water. Yeah. Like while the coffee is brewing, you may drink a full glass of water. My friend who read this book, hers was reading mail. She's like, I hate reading mail. So every day I drink coffee. My rule is I'm stacking, opening my mail just with my morning coffee, just to read it, at least see what's there. Yeah. Because otherwise her mail will just sit there for weeks. And I also think treats are a perfectly fine habit stack. Like you can add a treat to something, part of your routine to make that routine stick. Absolutely. If you love listening to podcasts, you can make, you could stack going for a walk while you listen. So like, I can't listen to a podcast unless I go for my daily 15 minute walk or whatever it might be. Yeah. I just think these things, part of the reason it works for me is I'm not a goal person. Like I'm not a list person. I love to make a list and I love to make a goal, but I don't love to go back to the list or the goal. Yeah. Totally. And so this is the thing that makes you do it. My example from a previous episode of dropping my daughter off at preschool, that is a 
a habit. It's a routine. It happens yeah. every day without fail. Um, and I was saying that I, if I put on my exercise clothing and shoes before I leave the house in the morning, I don't put anything else on. I don't get a normal person closes. closes. <laughs> and then when I drop her off, I am way more likely to go walk around the park or walk around the track. If I yeah. don't put those clothes on and then I say, oh, I'll exercise later. There's not that thing to prompt me to actually go exercise later other than that I said I would do it. And yeah, can't trust me as far as you can <laughs> throw me. Yeah. But there's so many things you can just toss together like that. And I kind of like it. Yeah. Especially for pills, man. There's so many things you can, you could put your pills wherever. You don't have to have your pills in the pill drawer. Exactly. Like put them by your skincare stuff. Yeah. If you are a skincare person or toothbrush. Yeah. By your toothbrush. Another thing I was thinking of is like, I find myself needing to stretch in the mornings, especially because I'm having all this joint pain and bone pain. Um, And so again, while I'm waiting for my coffee or while I'm cooking my kids oatmeal in the morning, I just stand in the kitchen and stretch instead of standing still or instead of running around, picking up papers or going through my kid's binder. I just take the time for myself and do the stretches there while I'm standing there. And then it, you know, it's pleasant. It's like, I'm not beating myself up. I'm, it's not like you have to do your stretches now. It's yeah. just like you're not doing Pilates. Right. You're just moving your body. And yeah, it doesn't have to be a big to do. It's just something that makes it a little bit easier for you to incorporate something you should be doing into your day. And, you know, I have had to do some work with figuring out why I am avoiding some things. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe another facet of it. If you mm-hmm. find yourself specifically avoiding a task or avoiding something, um, you know, like I have avoided taking some of my pills because of the way that they feel in my mouth. And it's Mm. a trigger for me. But um, combining a routine and incorporating it into something, you know, that I enjoy doing, and also figuring out that piece of why I was avoiding it, the two combined have helped me to do it with no problem now. And so, um, yeah, I just I like it. I like having a plan yeah. to improve. That's <laughs> that's what I like. Yeah, me too. Habit stacking, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. There you have it. Um, <laughs> there you have it. The the floaty pill thing because I think you were the pill you, the pills you don't like to take are the floaty pills. Yep. I remember you mentioning that in an earlier episode. I do as we end this segment on advice. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to mention we've gotten a few people that have listened to that episode and they write in they're like, I have a trick for floaty pills. But this is the one that sticks out for me is taking a floaty pill with a spoonful of either applesauce or yogurt. Yeah. So then you just swallow it because then it's just a little easier or any pill. It doesn't even have to be a floaty pill. It's true. If you're a pill hater, just wrap it up in a little piece of cheese like a dog. Good golly. Okay. Well, should we read letters? Do we do we care? I think about these people's stinking letters. God, I mean, I think that we do care. I think that kind of makes up our entire show. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um I am just gonna grab a letter bodetter called Liz. Liz writes. Amy and Steph, I just found your podcast. 
Thank fucking God. I was diagnosed with EHE cancer, blood vessel cells, about six weeks ago. I am just starting my journey with cancer in my liver and spots to watch in my lungs, still working on getting a treatment plan. I've listened to a ton of different podcasts about cancer and yours is my favorite. I love your gallows humor and total candidness about how much everything sucks. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, we all have our talents, Liz. (laughs) I find myself laughing so hard. I think so hard. I almost pee myself. Thank you for the laughs. And um, that was very sweet. But she wrote us again a little bit later saying a few weeks later and into her journey and says, "Um, hey, cancer for breakfast. Now I have a question. So I'm just at the beginning of this journey and I keep hearing about how sometimes you lose friends who just can't stand to go through the cancer journey. But as a cancer person, I have a friend whose life is just way too good right now. I feel like I need to dump them because I just cannot watch them enjoy vacations and the good life. Well, I am going through such shit. Is that awful of me? Well, Liz, you've come to the right place. If you <laughs> hate true. your friends, you have, you should hear how we feel about ours. Um, just kidding. Oh, man. It is common, though, the friend dump thing. But I do think... I think that this situation, I really want to hear what you think, Steph. This situation, we need a little bit more info to truly be able to decide. Because I feel like oftentimes there is more to it. Than oh, yeah. There's already something underneath the tensions of that friendship that might already be, you know, stressing it. Yeah, I think, you know, when you get cancer, I think it's really common to sort of reevaluate uh, your priorities and that can include friendships. Mm -hmm. I definitely dumped some people that I realized I had never liked. And like, they kind of (laughs) would like pick a fight with me. And I was like, you know what? I never liked you. So (laughs) (laughs) goodbye. Bye. Um, I think also, you know, yes, it's hard. Yes. Especially when you're like, dealing maybe with fertility problems and you're seeing friends get pregnant or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think it's really normal to be um, hurt and upset about that. But if you're like begrudging somebody vacations and stuff, I think maybe you just don't like them. Well, I do know how hard it is sometimes to see people just living their normal lives. Like nothing is wrong in the world when you are in a place where you're like, but I value so much the good times in my life that I was so blissfully unaware yeah. of how shitty things could get and the traveling I got to do. And all. It's so complicated because I do feel like there is, there's not a way to get even with somebody who's having a great time. Like you can't bring them down because who wins no. in that? Like you can't right. be like, you're in Paris. You're in fucking Paris right now and I'm in the chemo ward. Um, Because then you just feel like shit. Yeah. I don't know. I shouldn't say, I I guess, okay, so I want to revise what I said. I don't think it's just that you don't like them, but I think there there are so many like moving parts to this where number one, if the person is so oblivious as to be like, do you want to see all my photos, you know, of my trip to Croatia or whatever, while you're just like nauseated and 
Right. Peek it, then like, okay, so that makes them a bad friend. Obviously, that would be annoying. Um, if they're, you know, sharing with you specifically, I think that just straight up makes them a bad friend. If they're like on social media posting pictures of their vacation and it's not pointed, you know, right at you, then it's probably just like conspicuous consumerism. And while sort of tasteless, especially given the current state of the world, mm-hmm. um, maybe not necessarily worth dumping them over. Yeah. But I do think that there's got to be something underlying because I think we all have those friends who are like really conspicuous about every fancy thing they do. And we can mm-hmm. sometimes just roll our eyes. But when they aren't supportive or they don't show up for you in other ways, then it's like, all right. Yeah, <laughs> that's the because also last you straw. don't expect anybody to cancel a vacation because their friend has cancer, you know, like right. unless it's you know a family member or you're a caretaker or, or certain things, but like no one's going to cancel their vacation because they're sad that their friend has cancer and nobody would expect them to. But I just think it makes I think the whole like jealousy thing and comparison thing it does make the person feeling that way. Like that is making you feel worse. Yeah. I mean, I think that what it would probably come down to for me is like, it sounds like you're just kind of ships passing. Like Mm -hmm. if your friend is like, how are you? How's cancer treatment? Oh, by the way, I just got a promotion. One a million dollars. Like, yeah, um, that sucks. That's not a friendship. You know, that's yeah. It would it would make sense to me that you would feel like you need to step back from that. And it's okay for friendships to have endings. You know, you can say like, we had a great time. Now we've grown apart. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like we're on the same path anymore. Thanks for the good times. Smell you later, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's okay. That is okay. You have our approval to dump them, Liz. Dumpity dump dump. Or just hide them. If it's just social media shit, just hide them mm-hmm. or delete them. Who cares? We're your new friends. We're, we're the only friends you need. <laughs> <sighs> That's right. Okay. What was the other letter that we had? I believe was it something to do with somebody's mother? Somebody had a mother problem. Somebody did have a mother problem. (laughs) (laughs) And then I have, I have a little something to read too, if you don't mind. Oh, I do not indeed. Uh, Next letter coming at you. You ready? Mm -hmm. Advice? Question mark? Question mark? You've come to the right place. I'm dealing with a situation similar to what Amy went through with her sister. My mom is well overdue for a colonoscopy and keeps making excuses not to go get it. It makes me so angry and upset as I battled rectal cancer last year. Recently, she told me they found a lump in her breast during a mammogram. So naturally, I said, well, when's the biopsy? She, quote unquote, doesn't know when she's going to do it. She just needs to do one thing at a time. So out of a whole bunch of anger last night, I said, if I would have just waited, I would probably be dead right now. What do you say to your family members that won't take care of their own health because they are quote unquote, too afraid. Oh, mother, mama, do your, do your stuff. It's frustrating. I think, I think you can totally just be very upfront about 
how much it's affecting you. Yeah, because that's what you did, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard, though. I mean, people have their own reasons for not wanting to go in. And part of it, I do think, is like that disconnect between once you're over that mountain and not over the mountain yet, where you kind of don't believe it could possibly happen to you, but you're so afraid that it would that the belief that it couldn't possibly happen to you allows you to put it off allows you to put it off totally and the fear that it might Um, happen to you also contributes to that yeah especially once you've seen your daughter go through it yeah i don't know i agree just being super upfront has to be the way to go and you know maybe there's a way to make it fun like (laughs) incentivize it somehow like habit stack it (laughs) habit stack it (laughs) no but you know just if and I don't, I don't know if this is, is possible, but you know, to do some kind of treat to say like, okay, you get your colonoscopy and we'll, um, you know, we'll have a movie night and we'll just eat ice cream and soup and mm. it'll be fun and silly. And like, also acknowledging, like, I, I bet you're really scared. Getting a colonoscopy isn't fun. It's not like it's fun to begin with, but then having the added fear that it might be something. Mm-hmm. Um, makes it extra unfun but you still have to do it and just be like i I get it you're scared i'm also scared because i know what happens (laughs) when you have cancer but we have to just do these things Mm -hmm. like you have to take the leap um your health is important to me i need you to be here for me for a long time and yeah and then give them the space maybe to say that they are scared or say what's holding them back and Maybe think of ways that you can support them in it. Do you need me to call and make the appointment? Yeah. Do you need me to, um, you know, get you the prep stuff? Like, I'm happy to help however I can. Do I think that it's fair that you as the cancer person have to handhold them through this? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that's the way people are. Yeah. I mean, you could even call and say, my mom needs to make an appointment. Here's her phone number. She wants you to call her back, you know? Yeah. Which, yeah. I don't know. Put them on the spot. <sighs> I don't know if they would ask if you're you're her, what is it? Emergency contact person or whatever. Like, yeah. probably not. They probably just assume that you have every right to. Yeah. You know, that's kind of sketchy advice, but who cares? I've been a receptionist in a doctor's office. I don't fucking care who you are. If you want to make an appointment for somebody, go ahead. Right. You're like, how would you know this person (laughs) has a lump in their breast to need a biopsy or to need an ultrasound? If you're making an appointment, you obviously know. So just overstep your bounds. Get in her business. Do it. Be a total psycho. And then if she gives you a toot, just pull the cancer card. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think telling her how much it is legit causing you some trauma, like medical anxiety surrounding your own situation, I think is kind of a cancer card move, but it is a true move. Like it is something that is adding, like you can't just stop thinking about it and just say, ah, she's probably fine. Or ah, it's her life, you know? Yeah. And telling her, I wish I could not be so concerned and I'm sure it's nothing. I'm sure it's fine. But until I know it's fine, I'm going to just freak the F out. So go 
do this, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I guess, you know, this is an opportunity to use like the stupid four agreements or whatever, the like, don't take anything personally, assume positive intent, all that bullshit. What's, what are the other two for some of us? Oh, I don't remember. Come on. (laughs) I was just going to have my life changed by this. I'll look them up if you must know. You just look them up. Okay. All right. Gosh. Oh, can I tell you something while you're looking that up? I'm feeling like as this episode's going on, I'm just having a harder time getting my thoughts out. And I'm wondering, is this part of a chemo brain thing where, but it reminded me, I have recently noticed with my friend who adopted those two dogs, I have a chemo Mm -hmm. brain glitch that is very interesting to me. I cannot remember her first dog's name suddenly, which is Bobby. Bobby. I've I've never had a problem remembering Bobby's name ever. It's Bobby. It's Bobby. It's Bobby. Now they have Charlie. I can remember Charlie's name, Char Char. (laughs) But about 10 different times in the last three months, I've tried to recall Bobby's name and I cannot find it. I'm like, there's Charlie, the new dog. I can't think of what this fucking dog's name is. You've got a Bobby block. I have a Bobby block. I don't know what it is, but it is so weird. And then I have to do a trick where I think it's the same name as, as Jason's friend. It's the same name as his, oh, Bobby. You know, like I have to do this whole thing. (laughs) But the whole time it's happening, I'm like, why can't I remember? You know, but I do think it's a chemo brain glitch where I'm a hole in my head or something. I think we've just coined a new term, Bobby block. (laughs) when you can't remember one specific thing over and over yeah okay so the four agreements Mm -hmm. are be impeccable with your word don't take anything personally don't make assumptions and Mm -hmm. always do your best damn 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 if i uh went to grad school and became a teacher i would print that shit out and put it on my teacher wall oh yeah there are printables available for purchase printables um yeah. So anyway, I think maybe those things are good to remember, but also just to be upfront, like you said, tell your mom, listen, bitch, get your fucking colonoscopy. Yeah. <laughs> Mother. Um, what do you have to read for us? You- so this is a letter from a friend of ours mm-hmm. who is just a treasure, an absolute treasure. She is somebody who is really active and supportive in our group. And I appreciate her every GD day. So she says, 20 plus year therapist here, and I teach graduate level trauma courses. I strongly recommend that everyone who has undergone or is undergoing cancer treatment receives some form of trauma therapy. Some research suggests that 25% or more of cancer patients will qualify for PTSD based on the moment of their diagnosis alone, Whoa. not to mention the trauma of treatment, recurrences, fears of recurrence, and the ways your cancer experience may interact with childhood or other previous traumas. Mm -hmm. For instance, a therapy called EMDR is one trauma treatment with some pretty good research behind it. It's designed to break some scary links that your brain has made in and around traumatic events. Do be aware that EMDR appears to help about 70% of people And if you're in the 30% of people that it doesn't help, don't worry. There are lots of other options, including cognitive processing therapy um, or CPT. Mm -hmm. I recommend you look for a therapist that has good experience working with trauma generally, bonus points for medical trauma, and who has a good trauma training such as EMDR. 
along with at least one other tool they can try besides CBT if their main tool doesn't work for you. Most importantly is a researched variable that we call fit. Do you feel good around this person? Do you like them? Do you click? Mm -hmm. Is this someone you feel can help you and that gets you? That's equally as important as some suggest more important than any fancy degree or training or even decades of experience. As counterintuitive as it seems, shopping around is important. So mm-hmm. um, I want to say that I consistently accidentally say MDMA when I mean <laughs> EMDR. <laughs> People also say CBD instead of CBT, I think. <laughs> yeah. Or mishear funny. it as CBD. Yeah. My friend actually was interviewed in an article. He's a musician and he was saying that CBT therapy had helped. And then the, it was written that it was CBD. And he's like, I wasn't saying it was all the oh, no. weed gummies. Uh, and I thought it was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. There we have it. Get yourself some therapy. I love that. Thank you so much for that wonderful advice. That friend in our group, the group is crying in my nightgown and any cancer person can join. Just look on Facebook, crying in my nightgown, cancer for breakfast club. That's right. right? Mm-hmm. We have a caregiver group as well called Care Bears. That's right. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. Send us letters, folks. Yeah. Cancerforbreakfast.gmail.com. You may become a Patreon. You may become a Buy Me a Coffee. Um, We have a couple new Buy Me a Coffee members, actually. Do we? May I read something nice that was written? Yes. I wish you would. Uh, One comes from somebody named Amy D. It's not me. It's a different Amy D. She's <laughs> wonderful. She writes, Amy and Steph were so responsive and supportive after I received my diagnosis and reached out on Instagram. I binged all of the episodes during the early days. I felt like they were the only ones who understood and could still make me laugh. I was on autopilot mode and had not really grasped what was happening. Post-surgery and radiation, I was viewing myself as a quote-unquote luckier cancer person. But I feel like I'm still processing this experience. Hormone therapy has been hell, and I need a session to talk with others soon. Oh, Amy, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Amy. A new member of Buy Me a Coffee. And then we have another one as well. Who is it? Who is it? Well, you know, we already read Brooks's, right? Did we? You guys, we don't even know because we had to re-record like two episodes. It's so awful. But okay, Brooks, thank you so much. Um, she bought us some quote unquote treats. Okay, why do I, I don't say quote unquote, kill me. Um, she <laughs> bought us some treats, which you, if you don't want to be a member, you can also just do a one-time thing, which is so yeah. nice. Um, Brooks wrote much gratitude for being my comforting buddies every time I pop on my headphones while I am in the infusion chair at the cancer center. Thank you, Brooks. We love you. And then Allie also became a member saying, thank you so much for an incredibly funny, relatable and informative podcast. I discovered Cancer for Breakfast shortly after I finished active treatment for breast cancer. I only wish I had found it sooner. That is really nice. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I wanted to shout out um, the other day I was getting my injection and my nurse, um, Austin, was like, uh, nurse Lena says hi and she loves your podcast. <laughs> I was like, what? 
oh my god then my blood pressure was super high and i was like it's because i'm so thrilled about nurse lena liking my podcast that's awesome what's up lena yeah um cool yeah please uh if you do like the podcast just sharing it with others is really so important for getting the word out because we don't really do any marketing or we don't we don't know about that stuff we just do it and people listen and share it and it's it's grown and it's really cool it's a cool community and one nice thing you could do would be to just like close this out when you're done and immediately rate us on apple Podcasts. that would be rad it helps us a lot leave us a review if you have an extra moment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that would be very kind for sure all right well everybody i hope everyone's having a great early summer Mm -hmm. and see you soon goodbye Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. so much for listening thanks for listening sorry about the delay in getting this out yeah that's all right amy who cares nobody nobody's still listening nobody's still listening (laughs) they're off making their habit stacking lists